there and welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast, where we try to watch all the Oscar-nominated movies or die trying. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. We're less than a week from the Oscars, and hopefully all of my dear listeners, you're wrapping up your death races. At time of recording, I still have a little bit to go, uh, but I'm confident I still have it all done by the end of the race come Sunday evening. Uh, specifically, I am 35 out of 41 features and 5 out of 15 sorts for 40 out of 56 films total. Uh, we do have our final episode next week, so we'll see if I'm even going to be able to cross that finish line. Uh, in addition, by next week, uh, we'll know who the winners of the Oscars are, so, something that I, as well as many other people do, uh, once we finish the death race, is try to predict the winners. Uh, maybe it's for an office Oscar pool, or maybe it's just for fun. Uh, in any case, this episode, I've brought on Jeff and Pierre, fellow death racers, uh, who host the Classic Movies Live podcast, to talk about who we think will win this, best, this year's Oscars, and as well uh, as maybe try to figure out who we want to win uh, each Oscar, if that's different. Um, on top of that, Jeff is actually a moderator of the Oscars Death Race Discord and is involved in the category of Death Racers. So not only are we going to try to predict the winners of those categories, uh, we're going to try to see how our you know, preferred people, who's presumably who we voted for the Academy of Death Racers, turn out to be this coming Saturday for the live stream. Um, by the time this episode comes up, voting for the Academy of Death Racers should have ended, but still, definitely catch the stream this Saturday, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern or 3 p.m. Pacific. Uh, I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Uh, before we get to that conversation with Jeff and Pierre, we also just got to go through the final mostly technical Guild Awards real quickly to help with the, that decision making. Well, our first one isn't quite a Guild Award, but the Annie Awards were this past week in recognizing the best in animated film. As expected, Soul and Wolfwalkers were the leaders here. Uh, Soul won seven awards and to- total, uh, including Best Feature, while Wolfwalkers won five, including Best Indie Feature. Uh, the other awards Soul won were Best Feature, Best Effects, uh, Best Character Animation, Best Music, Best Storyboarding, Best Writing, and Best Editorial, while Wolfwalker took Best Character Design, Best Direction, and Best De- production design as well as their top fives. All of the other three nominees for the Oscars went home empty-handed, so it's definitely a Soul versus Wolfwalkers battle, most likely Soul. Uh, while the sound Oscars have been combined into one this year, uh, we still have separate Guild Awards for those. Uh, we have the Cinema Audio Society for mixers and the Golden Reel Awards for the sound editors. Uh, on the mixing side of things, Sound of Metal took the top prize for feature films, while Soul got it for animated. Uh, but for sound editing, Trout Chicago 7 actually took the top award for editing dialogue in a feature, while Greyhound took it for sound effects, and once again Soul got the award for animated films. Uh, Next up for the American Cinema Editor Awards, Ace Awards, uh, the winner here among the Oscar nominees were Trials of Chicago 7 for Best Edited Dramatic Feature, uh, with Palm Screams taken for Comedy uh, and Soul for Animated, as well as uh, My Octopus Teacher for Best Documentary Editing. Uh, Between the Sound Awards and Editing Awards, which historically have been pretty closely tied together, it looks like the Editing Award race might actually be a close one between Trials of Chicago 7 and The Sound of Metal for this one. And then finally, the American Society of Cinematographers gave out their awards, uh, the final Guild Awards, and despite Nomadland being the favorite on Gold Derby, Mank actually got the win here. I believe some I saw some discussion saying that ASC uh, tends to award their own members here, which Nomadland cinematographer was not a member of the Guild, um, and they also tend to favor black and white films in general, which again, Mank was. Apparently, they've been around right about 50% of the time so far historically, so this one feels like it could be a toy. Coin toss. 
Uh, anyway, with these Guild Awards out of the way, let's get into my conversation with Classic Movies Live hosts and put our names on the line for who we think will win the Oscars this year. Uh, note that this conversation did run a little bit longer, about two hours total. I've trimmed it down to about an hour here, which meant there's a lot left on the cutting room floor, which unfortunately I couldn't fit, but uh, you know, definitely make sure you check those guys out. I'll link their, uh, all those stuff uh, in the show notes as well. Um, so yeah, we'll also comment at the end of the episode, and I'll talk about the films I did watch this week, um, what my plan is for finishing the Oscars death race, uh, before the final episode. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Now, since this is the last episode to come out before the Oscar ceremony this Sunday, I thought it would be appropriate to finally take the time to make my predictions, as I do every year, for the films I think are going to win the Oscars, as well as the films that I want to win the Oscars, uh, should they be different. Normally, I've been doing this myself for the past couple of years, but this year, I have on some very special guests to help me out. Uh, these are the hosts of the Classics Movie Live, uh, a show on Heatwave Radio from my Canadian brothers up north in British Columbia. Uh, there, they are noted film historians, uh, and they try to anticipate the films of the present that will one day be classics adored and analyzed for years to come. Please join me in welcoming Jeff Bulmer and Pierre Fregon. Why don't you go, start off to you know, tell us a little bit you know, how you guys uh, got started with Classic Movies Live and you know, what you guys try to do on the show for anyone who hasn't listened yet. I saw your list of questions and I wrote out very long responses, so I'm going to try and keep it not too long-winded. <laughs> But uh, both me and Pierre are uh, arts contributors for our university's newspaper. When I got back involved with them uh, probably about two years ago, we were both doing movie reviews. So when I wanted to start up a movie podcast, I went straight for Pierre and said, hey, we should do a movie podcast. And um, that's kind of how we started. Did I miss anything, Pierre? No, that's that's it. I think we had like a different plan. I remember Jeff was talking about we, we would have like, we would bring in profs and stuff like that. But that was like, I think in the future, but then I think, cause he, he was like, let's start it in like four months or something like that. Or like next term. And I was like, no, I want to do it like this week, man. I, I think, I think cause I just saw a movie that week and I really wanted to talk about it. Cause I was like, was I glass. didn't like it or something. Yeah, it was glass. <laughs> and that was like an infuriatingly bad movie. So I had to get it out there. But yeah, that's, we, we started, that's, that was our first episode. So, so what do you guys try to do on classic movies? I kind of read like the blurb line that I saw on Spotify, but how would you describe this show for someone who hasn't listened to it yet? So uh, as Pierre mentioned, there was originally a slightly different plan. And so the, the name classic movies live is like half a joke and half absolutely not a joke because what we were trying, part of the original plan was that we would bring in like profs that used movies for literally any reason in their course, or even if they just like, enjoyed movies and they would say this is what i consider to be a classic movie and then we would put on a screening at our university people would watch it and then we'd have like a live discussion afterwards and so that would be like every other episode was the original plan and then the episodes in between would be pre-recorded episodes where we would go and watch a new movie so like the joke there is that there's no way to know if these are classics and it's not live so it was sort of like a two-fold joke originally and then it just sort of evolved from there so are, are you guys film students or, or were you guys film students? We're actually both in computer science. So what kind of films, like tell us, tell us both of you guys about what your movie origin story is. Like how did you quote like the movies that you like? I was just mostly like, uh, like kind of a superhero nerd when I was growing up. 
Like I remember the first movie I watched was Spider-Man and that always stuck in my mind just how amazing that was when I was, I guess I was five years old at the time. And but yeah, and then uh, in high school, um, I just got a lot more into, I guess, general nerd culture. And then I watched the, I think the biggest one was like watching The Dark Knight. It's such a stereotypical like, oh, this is like the movie that changed my life. And like, I, I can acknowledge that it's not like the best movie ever. But like when I saw it, it was honestly like, uh, so far ahead of anything I'd seen that got me into Christopher Nolan um, and then when I when I started like focusing on directors it got me into other directors um, and like artists that um, I'm really into and it's just kept growing from there awesome so how about you Jeff uh, so I'm a bit of a completionist by nature which I guess is going to come out because like among other things we're talking about the Oscars death race here like I grew up in a small town with a very cheap movie theater so I was like, you know what? I really like going to the movies. I'm going to go see every movie. And I did that for a while. Not not that long because like that's really hard and I was a tiny child, so my parents weren't going to pay for every for me to go see every single movie. And then eventually I saw Spanglish and I'm like, I don't want to see every single movie anymore actually. By that point, you know, I I developed a pretty wide taste in movies and that kind of never went away. So to this day, like, I'll try and go to the movies as often as I can. And, like, for example, when I saw that Can You Ever Forgive Me was playing in theaters, I'm, like, the only person I know who was, like, I gotta go see that in theaters right now. I, I don't know if I could really, like, crystallize all my tastes in movies, but just in case people are interested, my three favorite movies are Spider-Man 2, Requiem for a Dream, and Redline. And my favorite movie from the last few years is Parasite. What makes a film classic for you guys, actually? You know, now you kind of said that the title of your podcast is a bit of a joke, but how would you define like a classic in the making? I did say it was a bit of a joke, but I do think about this often. I think like my personal uh, definition for a classic is the, the best example would be like a cult classic. To me, it's just a movie that well outlives its time in the theater. Something like 1917 last year. I went to the theater, thought it was great. And like, I haven't thought about that movie in a year. But then Batman and Robin from the 90s. Is that movie any good? Not really, I guess. But like, it's still stuck around in people's minds. And like, when I go back and watch it, I think it's actually like, there's a lot of redeeming features in that. I could definitely, I will definitely like insist that we eventually do an episode on Batman and Robin because there's a lot to talk about in that movie. But the thing is like, people keep going back to that movie for some reason, right? Like people remember it exists and people watch it still. And like, we had a very, we, me and Pierre also run a movie club on campus. We had a lot of votes for Batman and Robin when we asked people what they wanted to see one week. I'd say for me, classic movies generally have very universal themes. They're very relatable to like large amounts of people. I, I feel like they have to in some way, I guess, push the medium forward. I think a lot of movies that have stuck around did so because they captured uh, like the, the the amazing, like the basics of movie making, like amazing characters, great story. But then like they, they brought, either they brought the technology to the next level or they brought like the form of storytelling to the next level. So like if you look at, I mean, the stereotypical classic movies like Star Wars, Jaws, what, what's Jurassic Park, all these movies kind of captured a certain cultural uh phenomenon because they they took the basics of what makes an amazing movie and then they added they they pushed forward with what a movie could be and uh i think like the first movies to do that every time really stick out so doesn't case probably like one of the biggest ones that me and jeff agree on that that is like 
that captures so much of like what I just said. Great. I, I never thought about like what makes a classic, but I think both poets you guys made, uh, I think those, that'd be my, that might be my working definition moving forward. So thank you guys for that. Speaking of, you know, what are some films from the past year, Oscar contenders or not, that you guys, maybe like one or two films each that you would consider a classic uh, in the making? Last year, uh, I mean, Jeff mentioned Parasite. I think Parasite's a kind of a stereotypical one at this point, but like, I think it's definitely going to be a, a huge movie culturally moving forward for so many reasons. I can't think of any too recently, though. Um, I really want it to be like Promising Young Women, but it doesn't really fit the criteria, I guess, for what I was talking about. So I don't know uh, if there's anything this year that like, obviously has that kind of staying power that I think that Parasite definitely does. If I had to decide on something from this year, I would say like maybe another round or like, like Pierre said, maybe Promising Young Woman because those are like interesting takes in, in a way that I haven't seen before. So like if people do end up going out and watching those, especially if they end up winning their Oscar nominations then like those might be classics in the making. So what about a film that maybe you, maybe not a classic, but you that maybe what were your favorite film? The also not necessarily Oscar nominated. I'd say promising young woman for sure. That was, that was one of the most exciting movies I've seen um, in a while. And it just felt so alive for me. Uh, my two both missed out on any uh, Oscar nominations. My two favorite were I'm Thinking of Ending Things and Preparations to Be Together for an Unknown Period of Time. I have not heard of that second one. <laughs> it is nominated for the Spirits for Best International Feature at the Spirit Awards. It would it could have been nominated for the Oscars. Uh, it was the Hungarian entry, but it did not get nominated. Uh, okay, so last question before we get to like you know the meat of the episode. So obviously you guys are part of the Oscars Death Face community, uh, and Jeff is actually a mod over on the Discord. So how did you guys get involved in Death Facing? I know Jeff, you kind of alluded to you know a completeness nature to you. Um, how many times have you attempted the Death Face? How many times have you actually successfully completed the Death Face? Um, any fun stories from you know Death Facing over the years, um, and maybe films that you were glad that you were able to see because of the Death Face. I don't know uh, anything Death Face that you want to tell so last year was the first year i consciously attempted it i didn't know there was a community for it before that but also like i wasn't really interested in anything more than the couple of things that i'm specifically interested in like best picture best animated feature and that's kind of it so like before that that's what i was mostly interested in and then last year i just decided to see how many i could watch and ended up uh, completing the death race for the first time Fun stories? Well, I am sitting right here with a DVD copy of Corpus Christi, which I have from the distributor. Like I said, Pierre and I ran a movie club on campus. I thought that it would be really cool to premiere a new movie. So I reached out to the distributor and uh, managed to set us up a actual an actual screening for Corpus Christi before the Oscars last year. It was a logistical nightmare. And as much as like it, like people came and they loved that we were doing it, and it was really fun. We lost a lot of money and would probably never be able to do it again. But I am very glad that we did it that one time. Awesome! That's an amazing story. Actually, like you go so far that I complete the to complete the death race that you host your own screening of it. Uh, but how about you, Pierre? Um, for me, I I also started last year. Um, I guess because of Jeff. Last year was like the first year I think I, I watched was all the best picture nominations. I actually hadn't done that before. And then this year, I'm hoping to, I guess, get them all. I have, what, six days. I just finished my last exam this morning. So I got six days to watch, I think it's like 10 or 15 feature films. So 
it's going to be interesting. But I'm excited. I think this will be a cool year to do it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, yeah, this is my second year doing it as well. So, uh, you know, definitely, definitely a wild time. All right, so I think that's good. Let's hop over to talk about, you know, uh, well, so obviously on the show, as listeners of the show know, I've had a bit of a struggle myself keeping pace with the death rates that I had set out for myself. Um, as of last episode, I was still missing nine feature films and ten sword films. Uh, these are mostly in the vis- visual effects, song, and swords categories with a couple of miscellaneous from other categories. Um, the man who sold his Skin um, from International, Greyhound for Sound, um, and the VFX films uh, Mulan, which is in VFX and costume, Tenet, VFX and production, Love and Monsters for VFX, Midnight Sky for VFX, One and Only Ivan for VFX, and then from Song, Eurovision, and The Life Ahead, as well as the five live action sorts and five documentary sorts. Um, because we have another portion that we need to get to today, we're not going to have time to you know, ask uh, you guys to you know, talk about all of these films, but were there any films in particular that you wanted to quickly give your thoughts on uh, you know, before, before we get to the the main predictions part i guess just very briefly the man who sold his skin is one of the coolest concept movies that like i've seen this year the other ones i wanted to mention love and monsters is really fun greyhound i really liked it's like a great dad movie uh eurovision is as far as i'm concerned the only thing that ought to be nominated for best original song straight up best original song could be five different songs from eurovision it's the only thing that makes sense in that category and i love that movie a lot by the way uh, anything from you, Pierre? Any thoughts on any of these films that, that I haven't seen yet that you might have? I thought Tenant's visual effects and production were both like outstanding and probably like the best Christopher Nolan's done so far, um, even though this, the movie itself was not very good at all. Um, but I, I really hope it does pretty well in those categories, honestly. Um, Love and Monsters, I saw the other, I think, two days ago. I The VFX, I think it's kind of like a... It's definitely an underdog because it's a lot more i guess subtle if that makes sense the way um the monsters are done is actually really really well done and like surprisingly well done for it like it feels like a a kind of a cheap cop-out kids movie but it's actually a pretty solid movie with a lot of heart and the vfx um really help you get over the somewhat childish elements of it oh yeah the last thing i wanted to say i forgot uh i missed when you said tenet on that list i think that tenet should have been an easy winner for best original score or like at the very least a strong contender, I am shocked that it was not even nominated. That's probably, it's definitely in my top three scores of the year, if not my favorite. I have not yet seen Tenet. Uh, I was kind of hoping, obviously, I was hoping that maybe when New York theaters came back, I would have a chance to maybe go back to theaters uh, and watch it because I was waiting till I got my vaccine, which I got my second dose last week. And unfortunately, I missed the window on that. So I'm uh, going to have to watch it uh, at home. But those are the uh, films I have not watched yet. Hopefully, by the time the episode comes out, I'll have made a little bit of progress, which we'll hear after this whole conversation. But uh, let's get to the really good stuff of this episode. So you now the big reason I have both of you guys on is to help me and our listeners figure out what they should fill in for their office Oscars ballot uh, for any pools they may be participating in, be it for money or just for fun. Um, there's a lot of distinction though you know some and in fact this year many categories seem to have a clear-cut winner based on the precursor awards and just simply being the kind of film that wins oscars um, that's not necessarily though the same as films that we think uh, should win a category uh, especially since we have you know the privilege of seeing every film in a given category uh, as opposed to some other people um, so what i like to do is for you both to name your pick for you who you think is likely to win your prediction for who's going to win 
and then if it differs, who your preference for winning that category is, which hopefully leads to some more interesting cat- uh, conversation. Um, I'll list nominees in alphabetical order, as well as any precursor awards, as well as well as the gold. What which one is the gold derby favorite? So starting off, we have Best Live Action Sort. Uh, the nominees are Feeling Through, The Letter Room, The Present, Two Distant Strangers, and Wide Eye, with The Letter Room being uh, the Gold Derby favorite. Um, I have not seen any of these films as of recording, so I don't really have any opinions here. Um, Jeff, Pierre, what are your thoughts on, on Best Live Action Sort? I think my preferred is probably Feeling Through. I saw two of the other ones, but the, the I, I kind of have problems with short films that try to be more than they they can fit i guess inside the scope of what they're doing and uh i guess the other movies i saw were just trying to do way too much with the time and then really accomplish anything but feeling through even though it lacks like i i guess basic character progression and narrative as a as a whole it's, it's just like a very simple sweet story um and it just it does it really really well uh, compared to the other movies i've seen i haven't seen the letter room but i i feel like like it has oscar isaac right that's pretty big for it. Um, but I also think my prediction is that I think Two Distant Strangers has a big chance of winning just because of the, the political message it contains, even though I don't really personally like it as a movie. So I don't really know what the Academy likes here, so I don't really know how to read it. But I've heard at least press for all of these. I think that my prediction would probably actually be the present here just because it won at BAFTAs. And I don't know how much that helps its chances, but it certainly doesn't hurt it. I like the present a lot too. I would be happy with that. I think my favorite of these is White Eye, uh, but I think White Eye abstract is a weird word, but like I think it might be a little too abstract to actually like go anywhere in this category. It's got a it's got a good message. It's not hard to understand what the message is or could be, but it's also like just sort of narratively really strange. Again, I haven't seen these yet, so hopefully by the time, maybe I'll have an addendum when I end up recording this episode. So moving on to documentary sort, again, I haven't seen any of these yet, so don't have a prediction or preference yet. Um, but we have A Concerto is a Conversation, A Love Song for Latassa, Colette, Do Not Split, and Hunger Ward, with the Gold Derby favorite being A Love Song for Latassa. I think I think Gold Derby probably has a good candle on this one. I think it's probably going to be A Love Song for Latasha. Before this, I had thought Hunger Ward, but... Um... I haven't heard that much about Hunger Ward since I've seen it, except from like communities where I'm in and it comes up every now and then when someone finally sees it anyway. My personal preferred here would be Do Not Split. I think that's like miles ahead of anything in this category except Colette. Colette is a very distant second for me, but it's it's there. All right. And then what about you, Pierre? Uh, I haven't seen any of these, so no comment. So we're just going to default whatever Jeff thinks for this category. Pierre, I'll have you kick off this for next one then. So we have Best Animated Sort is the, is the last sort category. I have seen all of these for uh, last week's episode. Um, we have uh, Burrow, Genius, Loci, Loci, If Anything Happens, I Love You, which is the Gold Derby favorite, Opera, and Yes People. So my prediction is, you know, I, I think I'm going with a Gold Derby here on If Anything Happens, I Love You. My personal favorite, though... Even though, like I said last week, that I don't really think it should count as a sword film, uh, opera, you know, it's not a great fit for the sword film, but I think it's the most ambitious of any of these, where it requires you rewatch it like at least tw- a couple of dozen times to fully get everything going on. Um, honorable mention, though, I would say I do love me a good Pixar sword film, so Burr would be my honorable mention. But uh, if I had one preferred, it would definitely be opera. Uh, Pierre, why don't you go ahead and kick us off? 
Um, I, I definitely agree with you. I think I think I my prediction and my preferred is probably if anything happens, I love you. I love the way the the art form was just very raw and simplistic, but it, they did so much with it and created a, like a lot of emotions and stuff. I also want to say that um, I thought Yes People was really cute. <laughs> I thought that was a really cute short. Um, there's some really funny stuff in there. And Genius Loci, Loci, the, the, some of those, like the shots and the art in that was like outstanding. Like I couldn't believe what I was watching sometimes. So like a lot of respect for that. I, the, honestly, like the animator should be like a cinematographer. They have a really cool eye for shots. So while Pierre was talking, I reached out and I grabbed my fighting glove because it's going to come to blows. I have made somewhat of a name for myself in the discord for how much I ex- I really, really hate If Anything Happens, I Love You. So I think that is the prediction, but I hate that movie a lot. I think it's crass. I think it's tasteless. And um, I think it makes light of school shootings in a way that is remarkably bad. It, like, the more I've, I've now seen it probably twice. And, like, the first time I watched it, I was like, this is bad. The second time I was like, this is really bad and also a little bit offensive to me. Like, so there was a movie, I don't remember what it was called. It had Robert Pattinson in it. It was a regular, like run of the mill rom-com. And the last scene is uh, he's on a business trip and he's like in a big building and he calls his girlfriend. And it turns out that big building is the world trade center. And it's now nine 11. And like, to me, if any, the twist at the end of If Anything Happens, I Love You is as sudden and as like tasteless as that twist at the end. It's like, oh, by the way, she's going to die now. I'm like, okay, sure. Great. Good, good story. You've done a really bad job with this. That's, that's actually fair. I, 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 th- I honestly, the movie was almost, the short film was almost perfect for me, except I thought the school shooting thing was a little jarring, in my opinion, and threw it off a bit. But other than that, I thought it was like immaculate up until that point. The ending of it is what throws it off for me. Up until then, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't love it up until then, but it just kind of was like some inoffensive, nice cartoon until that point. And then the ending really throws me off. My preferred is opera. I like opera a lot. Moving on, we'll go to best documentary feature. Um, the nominees are Collective, Crip Camp, My Octopus Teacher, which has been swooping up the awards with Gold Derby f- favorite, uh, the PGA Award, the BAFTA Award, and the Editing Guild Award. Um, we also have The Mole Agent and Time. Uh, so my prediction, I think, based on all the buzz, it's probably going to be The Octopus Teacher, which I really am not happy with. Um, but my preferred, I think, since I have a bias toward observational documentary, where there's like not a lot of explaining, not a lot of talking heads going on, um, Collective is probably my favorite uh, of these of these films, with an honorable mention to uh, The Mole Agent. Uh, uh, Jeff, why don't you kick us off for this one? Well, this will be pretty short, because I basically agree with you. Uh, I have no idea how, but Octopus Teacher is somehow going to take it, I think. That would be my prediction here, too. I I like the mole agent best because the mole agent is just fun to watch and I could actually sit through it twice where collective I think is the best documentary of this bunch, but I couldn't sit through it more than once because it's really, really heat. It's like hard to sit through. It's there's a lot going on and like, it's a terrible situation that they're, that they're talking about. Oh, I haven't seen any of these. 
All right, sounds good. Well, you have you have you have you have that to look forward to with the octopus. All right, so moving on to I think you know uh, Jeff, you said that you loved the uh, best animated feature category for a long time. Uh, so I'm sorry there are many thoughts here. Uh, we have Onward, uh, Over the Moon, Son the Sea of Armageddon, uh, Soul, which is absolutely knocking it out of the park with the precursor awards, uh, Gold Derby favorite, Golden Globes, PGA, BAFTA, and the awards with seven awards total from the annual awards the audio society the ace awards and sound editing golden reel awards um with wolf walker uh being the final nominee with uh five wins at the annual awards including best indie film i would say soul is definitely i think almost a lock at this point if it isn't already um and frankly you know i think i, I said this last last week on my epi- on the episode um soul is, is still my my pick wolf walker is definitely is a is a good second but i honestly don't think there's a bad film in this bunch for me personally so i did say earlier that this is like one of my favorite categories and this year i'm just not super passionate about most of these movies uh there there's not a bad movie in this as far as i'm concerned but like best animated feature that came out last year is ongaku our sound which i doubt it was even considered the only two that i like really 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 like in this category are soul and wolf walkers the other ones like i said i don't hate i'm just not super passionate about any of them um, I think Soul will win, and up until recently, Soul would have been my preferred too. But then I rewatched it a second time for a series of articles I'm uh, I'm working on, and like I still liked it, but it didn't. It wasn't as good the second time as it was the first time for me. So I rewatched Wolfwalkers, and that was better the second time than the first time. So my order switched. So I think my preferred is Wolfwalkers, but I really would be surprised if Soul doesn't take it. Yeah, I'm just going to agree. I think prediction and preferred is probably Soul. It's it's honestly one of the best movies of the year, for sure. Um, I do feel bad for, like, Shaun the Sheep, though. I think Shaun the Sheep is really cool. But, um, but yeah, I'd say Soul, uh, preferred for, and prediction. So moving on to Best International Feature, we have another round, which is, the I think, the Gold Derby favorite, as well as the BAFTA winner. Um, we have Better Days, Collective, Quo Vadis Ida, and The Man Who Sold His Skin. Uh, I, I haven't seen The Man Who Sold His Skin yet, so I can't really say just yet. But based off of the uh, based off what I have seen, I will say that another round is both my uh, prediction as well as my preferred winner for this category. Um, uh, Pierre, what do you think? Uh, this little, this is the last one. I I can't say anything on. I swear, but yeah, I I haven't seen any of these either. Uh, so jo- so Jeff, what do you think? My prediction and preferred is another round. I think that this is one of the strongest categories this year because like there's not a bad movie in this bunch, and actually like these are five of the best movies that are nominated. But like every time I see another round, and I've now seen it three times, maybe three and a half, I just notice more of it, and maybe I'm a little biased because I actually. Uh, went to high school in Germany, which is not too different from Denmark when it comes to drinking culture. So maybe it just resonates with me a lot. But like, I really, really like that movie. And I actually like it more every time I see it. Next up, we have uh, Best Song, which Jeff had many strong feelings about earlier with regard to Eurovision. Um, the nominees are Fight For You from Judas and the Black Messiah, Hear My Voice from Trial of Chicago 7, uh, Huvisik from Eurovision, EOC, The Life Ahead, which won at the Golden Globes, uh, and Speak Now from One Night in Miami, which is the Gold Derby favorite and won the Critics' Choice Award. Um, I'm not going to give a prediction or preference here uh, just because I've only seen three of the five, which I don't think is enough to really be able to make a, a call here. I, I agree with, I guess, Jeff. I'm, I'm predicting Jeff's going to say he loved uh, Eurovision. I actually, yeah, I at first I kind of, I'm not going to lie, it, it sounded a lot like a 
what never enough ripoff from uh, the good with the greatest showman but as the song went on i i grew to love it. It, it it has like this real cinematic feel that i i don't think some of the other the other songs have the, the other songs to me sound generally like they were made for a movie but like in the laziest way possible if that makes sense well will ferrell win an oscar for this is that is that how that works all right what would you say so you, do you agree that pierre called call his thought correctly i want to say yes because and I'm, I'm not going to subject pierre to this too many more times but like I've gone on two 10-minute rants now about what I think of this category. As far as I'm concerned, Husevik is the only one that even makes sense in this because it's the only one that it's the only song in this list that has anything to do with the movie that it's in. So I hope that you're right. I kind of think that I guess Speak Now will take it because Gold Derby likes it and it won at Critics Choice. So that is my prediction, I guess. But it's no, you know what? I'm going to throw my hat in with Husevik as well. Uh, I will say, though, Husevik is the weakest song from Eurovision. Like, it's fine. And it's like, it, it seems like it's a song that's like written to win awards. I can think of six songs from Eurovision and Husevik is my sixth favorite. It's no Ya Ya Ding Dong. Side bet, right? Sep- separate from all of this. Will they say, have someone say during the, the Oscars stream, someone say, play Yaya Ding Dong during the <laughs> performance of Who, Who's a Pick? Normally, I would have said yes. And now, after thinking about it, and especially with the fact that the uh, song performances are going to be pre-recorded, I say absolutely yes. Yes, it's going to happen. We have that to look forward to, double or nothing. Um, all right, moving on to another sound-related category, we have Best Score, um, which is, you know, unfortunately, no tenet here, as you said earlier, but we have The Five Bloods, Mank, Minari, News of the World, and Soul, which is likely going to get, I think, in my prediction, uh, its second nomination uh, based off of the Gold Derby being a favorite. It won a Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, and BAFTA. Um, preferred, honestly... I guess I really did like the the five blood score, but uh, I think Solos, you know, was also just like a phenomenal score as well. So I, I I'll have it among these nominees as my preferred as well. Soul I think wins, and also it's my preferred. I think like Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross plus uh, John Batiste, they just worked really well together somehow. Which like they're very different artists, so it's cool that they worked together as well as they did, and uh, I liked it a lot. Yeah, same. Easy, easy, easily for Soul. I think Trent and Atticus, even though their Mank score was pretty meh, I, I think they're two of like the greatest like, musicians uh, working right now, if not like of like the past like few decades. So um, I really hope they win this, and I, I don't think I don't see any way they don't win it. Keeping moving along, uh, we have uh, best sound. Uh, we have Greyhound, which won a Golden Reel for best sound effects. Uh, Mank, News of the World, Soul, which won the Cinema Cinema Audio Society for best animated uh, sound and Golden Reel for uh, animated sound. Uh, and then Sound of Metal, which is the Gold Derby favorite, won at the BAFTAs Cinema Audio Society for live action. I just saw Greyhound before this, and I will say that was actually a phenomenal use of sound. It would probably be my second choice, but uh, Sound of Metal is definitely my prediction and my preferred just because of how critical the the sound use is in the film um, as, as a storytelling device. So, uh, Pia, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say it's, it's going to be really hard for anyone to take it from Sound of Metal. It has a very unique and tasteful, and it's, it's, it's really intricately part of the story, so... It like it has to win. Same, yeah. Sound of metal. Preferred prediction. 
I have nothing else to add. It's really good. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, moving on to visual effects. Again, this is a category I have not seen any of, um, but we have Love and Monsters, Mulan, Tenet, which is the Gold Derby favorite one at Critics' Choice, one at BAFTA, Midnight Sky, which won at the Visual Effects Society, and the one and only Ivan. So, Jeff, what do you what do you think for best visual effects? I'm going to go all in on Tenet. Tenet is my favorite in this category, and I also think I think that it's kind of between Tenet and the Midnight Sky, but I think Tenet will take it. Um, yeah, same. I think Tenet, like I said earlier, Tenet just had an amazing use of visual effects. And I, unfortunately, I think if it was a better movie and it came out at a different time, it have, would have a much bigger effect on the industry in terms of like what it did with its visual effects. But um, these, these circumstances kind of make it almost like an underdog. But even so, it's it's it should win, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, at at the very least, right? I run a, I run a box office podcast, so at the very least, Chris Nolan will get his recognition for trying to save cinemas uh, <laughs> all the way back last year. All right, moving on to best hair and makeup, we have Emma Hillbilly Elegy, Mank, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom for which is the Gold Derby favorite, as well as Critics Choice, uh, two awards at the Makeup and Hair Guild uh, as as well as the BAFTA, um, and then Pinocchio, uh, which is the Makeup and Hair Guild vis- visual effects winner. Uh, my prediction here, Ma Rainey's, I think has a lot of momentum winning a lot of those awards, but uh, I think a lot of people on the Discord will agree Pinocchio is my preferred winner for this category. Um, just the stuff they did with making you know lifelike wood with practi- a mix of practical and visual effects uh, for their makeup just completely outstanding uh, not to mention you know the tuna and and the and all the other characters as well so uh, pierre what do you think about uh, best hair and makeup um the only one i actually haven't seen is pinocchio but like everything i've heard about it does sound amazing in makeup and hairstyling i will say like um if having not seen pinocchio my favorite would be ma rainey's just because i think the the makeup work they did on viola davis was like astounding um i also really like the what they did to get Glenn Close and Hillbilly Elegy or Elegy. Uh, I do think Ma Rainey's was better though. I don't entirely know why. I just felt like it was more subtly done and more expertly done. So yeah, but I I feel like once I watch Pinocchio, I'm going to say that it's probably going to be my prediction to win and preferred probably. I am going to predict Ma Rainey's because it has so much momentum behind it but i am going to be very upset if that actually happens because my preferred is pinocchio by a long shot i don't know why this is the example that i always go to but the the fox the character of the fox in pinocchio is better in terms of hair and makeup than anything else on this entire list i keep seeing pinocchio like brought up as one of the worst movies nominated this year and like I think I have it as like number, it's in my top 10 for sure. So I don't know how people think that, but. How many times have you watched Pinocchio? Four, four times, I think. Might be five. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. Well, a related category, which has a lot of crossover, is best costume. Uh, We have Emma, Mank, Marini's Black Bottom, which again is the favorite, I think, from Gold Derby, Critics' Choice, BAFTA, and the Costume Guild for Period Piece. Uh, we also have Mulan, for which won the Costume Guild for Fantasy, and Pinocchio once again. Uh, this time, again, I think Ma Rainey is going to win it, but my preferred here, which sadly I don't think is going to get any love for the Oscars, is Emma. Um, this was actually the first film I saw of the Death Race all the way back in February of last year.
year. And I, I called it then that this was going to get nominated and hopefully win uh, for best costume. Um, I think, you know, the period pieces here, I think, really do a lot and, and are really amazing. So, yeah, sadly, nothing for Emma here. Um, Jeff, what do you think? My prediction and preferred are still the same carrying over from makeup and hair, but I am not nearly as passionate about this category as I am for makeup. Emma is a very, very close second for me. Like I could, I, if Emma got it, I would be very happy. I'm kind of surprised my is getting as much attention for this uh, as it is. I, I don't really remember anything particularly interesting about the costuming, but I, I'd say it's my probably my prediction to win just because of it. I, I want to say my prefer is Mulan though. I thought it had some some uh just some cool stuff i wouldn't say it was anything mind-blowing but I, I thought it was nice so moving on we have uh production um the nominees here are the father marini's black bottom mank which is the gold derby favorite critics choice winner art director yield award and bafta winner um news of the world and then tenet which won the art director's guild award for fantasy film um again i still haven't seen tenet yet um so my prediction here i think based on the momentum is mank um but my preferred preferred i this again this is a category without having seen tenet um that i didn't really have a lot of passion for any of these winners or these nominees um so i guess mank you know i think them putting together the uh you know all the sets and and whatnot um is noteworthy enough for me that's i will say maybe like an honorable mention to the father even though it's like just one set the one set design combined with the editing i think makes this like a really makes a really interesting production piece um yeah i'd I'd say tenet again i thought the production and tenet was really really good um i guess like the other i'm kind of surprised my rainy and mank is there um i thought the fathers was really good just because I, I, I had a very subtle way i think the production helped make uh add to the effect of the confusion and stuff like that so i actually kind of want that to win so i'd say i honestly say i think my preferred might be the father my prediction i think it's probably going to be tenet actually Unless I, I'm kind of suspicious of Ma Rainey's. <laughs> it's hard to say. I'm I'm suspicious of Ma Rainey because like I thought their production design was terrible. I feel like the Oscars are seeing something I'm not seeing, and that's why it's there that like I'm not picking up on. So, um, I I will say that. But uh, yeah, I say yeah. Preferred father, best I think prediction tenant. I think this is the only place that Mank actually comes away with an Oscar. I think this is going to be the one for... Uh, this, so my prediction here is Mank. I think this is the Oscar that Mank gets, is production design. However, back when we were talking about sound, the sound is very integral to Sound of Metal, and that is how I felt about production design for The Father, or at least like my closest feelings in any other technical category as to like how important this is to the movie is production design for The Father the set design there and like just the environment uh, even though again it's one single apartment mostly one single room i thought that like the way they subtly changed that in between and i believe i had read in the uh behind the scenes that anthony hopkins like went out of his way never to look at the sets so he would be actually confused uh that's just a little bit of cool behind the scenes trivia but like anyway the the production design i just really liked the father a lot and so that is easily my choice 
it could come away with it, but I think this is the one that Mank gets. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, moving on, we have Best Cinematography. Now, I'm going to say, uh, so the nominees here are Dudes and the Black Messiah, Mank, which won the Cinematographer's Award, News of the World, Nomadland, which won Gold Derby, Critics' Choice, and BAFTA, and Trial of Chicago 7. So I actually think Mank has a decent shot here. I think, if I gun to my head, I think that Nomadland probably takes it, but I think, so I think it might be, Nomadland's probably my prediction, but... I really think Mank is my preferred here. Maybe I'm just like the the cinematographer's guild and I'm a sucker for black and white films in general, like with The Lighthouse last year. I don't disagree with you on Mank. Like, I liked the cinematography on it, but I thought that it was uh, held back quite a bit by the directing. Maybe not. I, I could be like completely misreading that. I didn't like... There, there's a lot of things I didn't like about Mank, but cinematography was not one of them. I just don't think that it went as far as it could have, and I feel like the cinematographer wanted to go further and do more interesting stuff than he ended up doing in that movie. I want that to be my preferred, but my preferred is actually Judas and the Black Messiah because it has a lot of very cool shots, and I like um, the cinematography in it, I guess. That's, that's just what I'll say there. Um, my prediction, though... I think Nomadland is going to get this. Uh, you're going to hear me say Nomadland on predictions probably a lot going forward. I think Nomadland preferred in uh, prediction. I, I don't, I didn't love the movie too much, but I thought uh, like if it's any, if, if it's, if there's anything that this could, should win for it is cinematography. I think just it has a really unique style. Chloe Zhao's, I guess, loves her 6 p.m. her evening shots, the golden hour shots, and she likes them because they work really, really well. The, the movie looks really nice. Moving on to, the, I think I would say the last technical category, uh, we have best editing. Um, we have The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, which has the Gold Derby favor, favor uh, Critics' Choice, a tie at Critics' Choice and the BAFTA Awards, and then Crowd Chicago Seven got a tie, the other tie at the Critics' Choice and the Editing Guild Award. I want to say I think Trial probably gets this. Well, I, I, this is really close, and this is really weird because I think historically, sound categories have always been like the winner of editor has always won one of the two sound categories in the past. Um, I think that's like a stat that I, that I saw at some point. Um, now with the sound category being reduced from two to one. Does that still hold true is the quest is the question, right? And if Sound of Metal is our presumed winner of sound, does that mean that Sound of Metal is the prediction here? I'm gonna go ahead and say I think that Trial of Chicago 7 takes the editing here, because I think the way that they edited around the screenplay, I think, is is was really smart, I think. That said, I think my preferred though, actually I would say would be the father, because the way that they used the editing to really sell the story of the uh, the, the the ongoing Alzheimer's is is really good. So yeah, that that's my take. I am gonna go with history on this. I think it goes to Sound of Metal. I don't actually necessarily know why, other than I guess historical reasons. My preferred is the father, because I think that along with I mean, my, my exact same thoughts I said for production design, just it needs the editing too. Like it needs the editing and the production design and then it works out. Yeah, Trial is probably my least favorite here, except that like, I don't mind. I like the editing in all of these. Promising Young Woman is a, it's, it's, it's fairly close. Uh, it's fairly high on my list of preferred here. For the same things you said about Trial, I think that like, in a few places, it does sort of edit around the screenplay in in ways that make you not realize that. And I don't know if that's entirely what you were getting at with Trial, but like I, I can see what you're getting at anyway. 
Yeah, I meant it mostly in like, you know, in the way that, you know, normally in a courtroom, so like, you know, you have the testimony um, and you kind of have to go off the weight of the testimony and how it's being delivered in the courtroom. So I think like editing around with the uh, with that. And I was listening to the DGA podcast and they said that you know, they were editing in, you know, shots from archival footage uh, of, you know, some of those police things uh, against that you couldn't tell. And I couldn't tell the difference. So um, that that's it for me. Uh, anyway, Pierre, what are your thoughts? Well, that's, a, that's a good point. I actually hadn't thought of that about that for the trial. I would say, uh, well, now that you mention it, I actually I'm going to change my prediction to the trial of the Chicago Seven just because, like, I hadn't noticed. I guess I hadn't noticed that or thought of that. Um, that's actually a really good point. Um, it was pretty seamless. I didn't. I still didn't love it because I, I personally found the editing confusing. Um, I know they they the script. I guess gave it quite a challenge to kind of work around, but, and I don't think they quite pulled it off. I kind of want Sound of Metal to win. It's, it's editing is a lot more subtle, but it's just an extremely well-paced movie, especially because I think it could have been poorly paced very easily um, and been very slow, but it was a very quick, it was, it, it moved by really fast. It's not very flashy. Like that's why I think the trial will win. Moving on to the screenplay categories. First up, we have original screenplay. Uh, we have Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, uh, which I, I'm going to guess is your guys' pick here. Um, this is uh, the Gold Derby favorite, Critics Choice, Whiting Guild Award winner, and BAFTA winner. Um, we also have uh, Sound of Metal and Trial of Chicago 7, which won the Golden Globes. So my prediction will be Promising Young Woman. That being said, I actually have my preferred winner as uh, Minari, actually. And maybe this is my personal bias. as like I really love it as an Asian American and kind of like telling the story of Asian Americanness through Lee Isaacs Chung's childhood memories which the cool like the cool anecdote here from behind the scenes is that he wrote his screenplay in excel uh, the first draft actually where he compiled like his memories into like different excel spreadsheets and coalesced them before actually you know making the script script um but i really like that as someone who also loves excel a lot that really spoke to me so if only for that that's that's why minari is my preferred arena even though i am pretty sure promising woman's gonna take it you, you guessed right I, i'd say promising a woman is it I think it's such a good movie all around, but I think the screenplay is really just what sets it apart. It's such a, it's such a fun, interesting screenplay. I think it takes a lot of twists and turns. Um, it takes a really challenging, I guess, topic and makes it uh, approachable and interesting. Yet doesn't shy away from any of like the taboos about it, or like making, or doesn't shy away from making people feel uncomfortable. So I really want it to win, and I think it will win. So when it comes to original screenplay, four of these five nominees are already just incredible screenplays. So I'd be very happy with any of them winning, except for what I originally thought would have been would have been my prediction, except not anymore. Because I definitely thought that like going into editing this document, I would have thought Trial would be the, the one that wins it. And then Promising Young Woman started uh, cleaning up, which I'm very happy for because that's the other name you're going to hear me say a lot over the rest of these predictions like pierre basically said all my thoughts that i would have said too uh that's my preferred and my prediction for this one promising young woman all right all right so moving on to a adapted screenplay then we have uh first up the borat sequel i'm not going to say the whole thing uh the borat sequel um which won the writing guild award um, we have the father which won the bafta um nomadland which won the gold is it the gold derby favorite as well as uh, the critics choice winner uh, also one night in miami and white tiger um there is no Go globe winner here because that's just a shared category between adapted and original um so my prediction here i think 
again, people just want to give Chloe Zhao all the awards at this point. So uh, she's probably going to get the win here, I think. That being said... I think this is a hot take. I really liked One Night in Miami's uh, screenplay a lot. I think it did a lot of really good, like dialogue-wise, in in pairing up the four different ki- the four main characters, like in different permutations, um, where you didn't even notice it until you were trying to pay attention to it. So I think I really enjoyed that. Um, I also really, really liked White Tiger's screenplay as like probably my my second preferred, honestly, um, if only because just. I'm I, I'm not of Indian heritage. I'm Filipino, but there's also like a lot of parallels between you know having spent some time growing up in the Philippines that captures that sense of like you know living in 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 that in a in a foreign country like of, of a similar like socioeconomic situation that really stuck out to me as as really authentic. So really enjoyed White Tiger. And I wish one of those two would win, but it's probably going to be Nomadland. And if I had to pick one, probably one in Miami is my preferred. So I like both of the movies that you said for those reasons. That's the, that's great. I liked both of those movies. I thought One Night in Miami did exactly what you just said really well. White Tiger, I loved for the exact same reason. I guess, well, not the exact same reason because I do not have the same background as you or the guy in the White Tiger. However, this is one of the categories where like I'm kind of... I'm not necessarily looking for my favorite screenplay. This is an adapted screenplay, which I don't know if this is actually what this what everyone looks for. But like when I'm looking at adapted screenplay, what I'm looking for is what movie took the source material and did the coolest, weirdest thing with it. And for me, in that in this case, that makes it Nomadland because Nomadland is like it's a piece of journalism is what it's based on. It's based on this book of. Uh, a woman who lived like that for a year, it doesn't actually take the specific story of that book. It just sort of kind of recreates it, but as a narrative movie. I think Pierre said it earlier already. He didn't necessarily love the movie, and I didn't either. But like, this is where I think, this is one of its strengths, I think. And this is why it is my prediction and my preferred here. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. That's definitely that's definitely uh, a, one, one way to interpret, I think, like the best adapted screenplay, which I think going off of that metric, I probably would agree Nomadland would pro- probably did accomplish that the best. Um, Pierre, your thoughts? Um, I'm just not too hot on this category. The screenplay, honestly, like none of them really stick out to me. I thought Borat's was a little lazy, in my opinion, and felt kind of forced. The Father was good at first, but then like I think it, it got very derivative after the first 30 minutes. Nomadland, like, it just lacked too much narrative for me to really consider it, like, a solid screenplay. Uh, One Night in Miami, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, it felt like fanfic. It just felt weird to me, and I think they could have adapted it more to feel like, it felt very stage-ridden, too, so I didn't love it. And then White Tiger, I think, had a lot of potential, but it was just, like, there was too much, there was, like, it didn't really come in a satisfying way, so I, I'd have to say, I think... My preferred is probably the father because those first thirty minutes were really good <laughs> until it becomes like a a narrative like blah. um. So I'd say preferred the father. I think it sounds like Nomadland's gonna win, but it's it's between Nomadland and the father for I guess predicted. Sounds good. Uh, we move now to the uh, acting categories. So for supporting actor, we have Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, who has won literally every precursor award, Go- uh, Gold Derby favorite, Golden Globe, Critics' Choice, SAG, and BAFTA. Um, competing against him are Lakeith Stanfield, also from Judas and the Black Messiah. We have Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, from One Night in Miami, Paul Racy from uh, Sound of Metal, and Sacha Baron Cohen from Child of Chicago 7. Clearly, it's he. I think the prediction here has to be Daniel Kaluuya. 
And frankly, I think I, I'm I'm okay with that also being my preferred winner as well. Um, just an electrifying performance, especially during like the rally scenes. Um, just really stood out to me. So um, that's my that's my call, calling my shot there. Um, Pierre, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I definitely think. Kalia is uh, gonna win. Um, very powerful performance, like you said. My preferred is probably gonna be Paul Racy, though. Like compared to Daniel Kaluuya's, I, I just thought Paul Racy's was just so much more human and real to me. Uh, I think Daniel Kaluuya really shined with what they gave him, but they 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 lacked giving his role more sympathetic and personal moments, which kind of made me lack like a connection to his character. Uh, but Paul Racy was just like as a lot more subtle performance and in my opinion, just better, more well done overall, just for what, from what he brought to the role. Well, I guess I'll throw my hat in with the prediction of Daniel Kaluuya, because it seems like, why would I do anything else? As, as for my preferred, ask me on a different day and I'll say something else. Uh, it could go either way between Daniel Kaluuya and Paul Racy. Uh, Racy. I think I'm going to say Daniel Kaluuya here, but Paul Racy is um, a very, 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 very close second. Moving on, we have a slightly less uh, sir thing. Um, we have supporting actress. Uh, we have Amanda Seyfried from Mank, Glenn Close from Hillbilly Elegy, uh, Maria Barclover from the Borat sequel, who won at Critics' Choice. Um, we have Olivia Colman for The Father, and Yeo Jung Yoon from Minari, who is, I guess, the closest thing. Right? We have Gold Derby favorite, the SAG Award, and the BAFTA. Um, Using Yoon from Minari is my prediction and very happily my my preferred win here. Uh, we finally get justice for Nai Nai after the farewell got snubbed last year with another Asian grandmother. Um, so Jeff, what are your thoughts on supporting actress? So my prediction is also Yu Jung Yoon, and she is a very close second for me because uh, my my preferred is Maria Bakalova. The tiebreaker between those two for me is that Maria Bakalova's performance is like it's a straight up, it's, it's just a pure comedy performance that managed to get nominated for an Oscar. I would like more comedy performances to get nominated for Oscars, please. I don't necessarily know of any others I would think I could think of that are like, yes, this should be the one that wins the Oscar this year. But uh, the fact that that happened, uh, that's, that's the tiebreaker for me. Also, you know, I just really liked her in that. I liked them both basically equally. So if I can ha- have a tie for my preferred... It would be Yu Jung Yoon and Maria Bakalova. If I have to pick one, it's Maria. Uh, yeah, very similar to Jeff's. I thought Yu Jung Yoon's performance was was really really good, um, and is probably gonna win. It was just very masterful. She really helped bring a lot of character and soul to that movie that wouldn't have existed without her performance. Um, I do really want Maria Bakalova to win, not just because I think if she wins, like because she's a younger actress, she has a lot more potential for a future career. I honestly think like her performance in comedy was it, it could be like pretty big in the future. Um, I, I I personally I notice women get the same type of roles in comedies. They're usually like very like kind of the straight man. The character that she played in Borat was just like it was just like I think honestly kind of ahead of its time for like how a woman can portray herself in comedy. And I really like I really love that. Uh, I, I think she's like she did a really great job of it and brings out a lot of potential future roles that women can fulfill in comedy movies uh, rather than just, for the most part, in my opinion, like they seem to be relegated to the role of basically the straight man while they let the the guy basically get all the the comedy. Uh, But she stole the comedy in this movie, 100%. So on our show last year, when we were talking about Parasite just before the Oscars, I said that uh, Parasite has what it takes to become like an enduring classic. I kind of think a similar thing for Borat here. 
because I think uh, I agree with Pierre that like Maria's performance is somewhat ahead of its time. Plus she's a young actress who has almost no, well, not almost no experience, but almost no credits in the English speaking world and barely any credits in the Bulgarian speaking world. If she wins this uh, award and like, doesn't some do something very stupid within two years, then like she has a fantastic career ahead of her. And like this movie will be the movie that launched her career. So there's a classic movie that we're uh, talking about live. World credits. Uh, not really, not yet. Um, but yeah, fair, fair enough. Def- definitely, I can, I can definitely see that. And I, I definitely agree with you guys 100%. I think the other reason that I, I, pr- I prefer Minari to win here um, and hope that they win here uh, is that, frankly speaking, spoiler, I don't think they're going to win anywhere else. And I would just love Minari to get some sort of credit at some point in the Oscars as well. So moving on, we have probably the most contentious category uh of the uh of the awards uh best uh actress five different nominees uh and four of them have won four different precursor awards uh so we have andrew day from us versus billy holiday winning the golden globes carrie mulligan from promising young woman winning uh critics choice and by the way is the gold derby favorite um francis mcdormand from nomadland winning the bafta vanessa kirby uh from pieces of woman not yet winning anything and viola davis from ma rainey's black bottom winning the SAG award. I will say that I think because the SAG award, the SAG the, the SAG guild is the largest guild voting and they have thrown their hat in for Viola Davis, I think that that's how she ends up getting the win here. Um that said, my preferred is uh Vanessa Kirby just so we can have five different winners from the different awards. No, but actually I think actually is Carrie Mulligan for her portrayal in, in Promising Young Woman as my preferred even though I think Davis is, is going to take it. Pierre, what do you think uh since you love uh, since you're a Carrie Mulligan stand it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to I was going to say yeah, I I actually I really love Viola Davis's performance. Like I I kind of I I I honestly kind of think it should have been pushed into the supporting role because her role was relatively minimal especially like with the amount of dialogue she seemed to have um and her effect like on the plot either way i think i thought her performance was really amazing um it was very subtle but extremely well done and uh, i I wasn't a huge viola davis fan before but like i I actually am a really big fan of her now just from seeing that performance um yeah carrie mulligan i'm not gonna lie she she brought so much to that role she was able to switch her personality like in an instant and like just brought so much charisma and personality and like, cause I think the main character could potentially be seen as non-sympathetic due to her, I guess, vengeful actions in some aspects. Like I think you could, you can interpret her as a like chaotic, chaotic good character or something like that, um, which the audience might not like, but I, I thought, she just she made that movie so much for me and i've never been i didn't even know who she was before but like she blew me away with what she did in that movie so yeah okay so so both prediction and uh preference for carrie mulligan it is really close with viola davis i could see viola davis winning for sure preferred carrie mulligan i i actually i kind of want to say prediction would be viola davis i think it it seems more the academy's type of performance Jeff, are you going to say something different or, or agree with both of us on that? Well, I am going to agree that Viola Davis seems like the Academy's like kind of performance. 
But I'm actually going to throw my hat in here with Gold Derby and say that my prediction is Carrie Mulligan. I think this is the one where the Academy is going to do something a little bit surprising. I don't have any basis for that. That's just a gut feeling. I think it's going to happen. My preferred here is the only person who hasn't won anything yet, Vanessa Kirby. Pieces of a Woman has a lot of stuff going for it. Like the main reason to watch it is Vanessa Kirby's performance, which I think is phenomenal in that movie. Uh, I think it, other than that, has like kind of too much going on. Uh, but I did watch it twice. And the reason I watched it twice is because Vanessa Kirby's performance is like, I mean, it is my favorite of this of this bunch and therefore kind of my favorite of the year. On the other hand, uh, we have what's the, in, as opposed to Best Actress, which is like a very up in the air category at this point, I think Best Actor is more or less maybe uh, a lock. Um, we have Anthony Hopkins from The Father winning the BAFTA, um, but then Chadwick Boseman from Our Writing's Black Bottom winning all the other awards, Gold Derby's favorite, Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, and SAG. Uh, Gary Oldman from Mank, Rizomet from Sound of Metal, and Steve Yun from Minari are the other nominees. But it sounds like it's basically coming down to a Boseman versus Hopkins so down with Bozeman being the heavy uh, Goliath here with Hopkins being the, the David um, and frankly you know I will say that uh, Bozeman is you know, my prediction and really when it comes down to it I think he is my preferred winner I think at this point maybe it's it's just the timeliness of his performance in relation to everything going on in the world and how he kind of channels a lot of you know the the experience of the African-American experience in his performance that takes it over the edge for me but uh yeah I'm putting Chadwick Boseman as my prediction and my, and my preferred uh what about you uh Jeff this is an extremely strong category I would say this is probably in my opinion the strongest category uh, in general, behind international feature. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, every one of these actors would be a favorite in like any other year. I'm going to predict Chadwick Boseman here. He's won everything else. Anthony Hopkins winning the BAFTA was a bit of a surprise. I guess only a surprise because at that point, you know, Chadwick Boseman had already won everything. So I was kind of just expecting him to go all the way. My personal favorite here, and it is close between, like I said, almost everyone on this list, my personal favorite is Riz Ahmed because uh, I have more recently rewatched Sound of Metal and like that's an incredible performance. Again, if, there, if I have to pick a tiebreaker here, for me, Chadwick Boseman is a lot more, uh, it's a much more theatrical performance, which makes sense because he's in a play, uh, basically. You know, a play is supposed to be theatrical. It's theatrical, but it's very fitting in the way that it is, where Riz Ahmed's performance is a much more real performance. And Anthony Hopkins, I couldn't really put an exact word to it, but it's kind of in between those. And all three of those are the best of what that performance can be. You know, what that category, I guess, of performance can be. Uh, to me, Riz Ahmed, like, resonates much more there. And I just liked that performance better because Chadwick Boseman is, like, also really up there, as is Anthony Hopkins. So I guess prediction Boseman preferred Ahmed. I'd, I'd say pretty similar. i I think if Chadwick, if it was a different year, I think Riz Ahmed would have a very good shot at potentially winning. But yeah, just due to the circumstances, I think Chadwick Boseman takes his 100%. And I can't say I would argue, I would be like mad about that. I thought it was a really, really good performance. Um, probably the best I've seen from him so far in his career. I, I didn't love Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but I do have to acknowledge that he really 
he really made that movie in a lot of ways. Definitely, definitely agree. Uh, R.I.P. to Chadwick Boseman. And then we have Best Director with nominations being Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, winning literally every award, uh, Gold Derby Favorite, Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, DGA, and BAFTA, uh, David Fincher for Mank, Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, and Thomas Vintenberg for Another Round. Prediction here is an easy Zhao. I don't really know who I prefer for this category, honestly, right? Like... Maybe I'm just like not enough of a film student to really, really get what makes Zhao's directing stand out compared to everyone else's. Um, I don't know. I, I I can't really put down anything preferred for for me here. Um, you know, what about what about you, Jeff? I think Zhao is going to take it. So I'll start by saying my prediction is Zhao, and like I would be shocked if anyone else gets it. Uh, for me, my preferred is definitely Emerald Fennel because I will agree with you that I don't really know in a lot of cases what makes a good director. Uh, but what I do know about directing is that like the director is the person who makes the choices of like, you know, what do you adapt? How do you do it? How do you show this scene? And I think that is the most visible, like the choices that Emerald Fennel makes are the most visible to me. And also I just think the best, like, I wrote a series of articles where I went through all of these, or as many of these categories as I could. And when I wrote uh, my article for why Emerald Fennel should win best director, I started with a very long paragraph, probably longer than anything else in the, uh, in the series of articles that I wrote about the first like 10 seconds of promising young woman and why this is like the best shot of the year. That's, that's it. Literally the first shot of promising young woman sells me entirely on Emerald Fennel. And then Everything else in the movie just it reinforces that for me. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, and do you agree with that, Pierre? That that it's Emerald Fennel uh, taking this, or should be taking this. I, I'd say I, th- I think it's going to be Chloe Zhao. I to me, directing is, is is a lot about what the can you. It's like it's it's almost like a feeling. Can you feel like the passion, the direct, the behind the movie, if that makes sense, or like what 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 does the movie bring that's new to the table? I think Chloe Zhao's style of directing is very particular. It's very new, and that's why, like, because I, I don't think Nomadland, in a lot of ways, uh, is like that great of a movie. But I would say that its style is very particular and very unique for what it brings to the table and what it brings to, I guess, the the medium of cinema. So, like, I would definitely say that uh, she, she she's the preferred here. Winning is kind of close. I think she should win too. Um, even though I like, I didn't love the movie, but I thought like her previous efforts with this style were really good. Just wasn't recognized for them. Um, Emerald Fennell is probably my second choice, though. I like it's not as as uh, obvious, but I think she brings so much just energy and passion to that movie that you really feel it. It's kind of weird, but like I, I almost want to. It's the feeling I get when I watch like a Sam Raimi movie, for example. It's very different styles, but you just you can feel the passion they have for the movie behind it. So, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say Chloe Zhao just because she just, she does bring a lot that's new that hasn't been seen before to, I will say friend of the show, Dakota from the Convo Zoom pod has said that, you know, he thinks that, uh, the directing category sometimes is kind of like the, the constellation prize for like, you know, best, best picture in some cases, uh, in which case, I guess if that's the case, cause probably going to be Nomadland, frankly, uh, winning best picture spoilers, uh, I would like to see Minari get more love here. So maybe Minari is my is my preferred. And going by, you know, Pierce, you know, of like that passion on, on, on what they bring. Um, again, being an Asian American, I guess I'm biased, but seeing 
Lee Isaac Chung bring his own personal childhood memories to screen in this way definitely has has that sense of direction for me as well. Uh, which I guess transitions us to the final category, the big one, the big kahuna, uh, best picture. Uh, the nominees are For the Father, Judas and Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, which has won literally every award, Gold Derby Favorite, the Toronto International Film Festival People's Choice Award, Venice Golden Lion, Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, uh, Producers Guild Awards, the BAFTA, um, Promising Young Woman, which did win uh, the BAFTA for Best British Film, uh, Sound of Metal, and Trial of Chicago 7, which won the SAG Ensemble. Um, if you haven't paying attention, it should be obvious, Nomadland is probably the prediction and the winner for the Oscars. That being said, if you've also been paying attention, you know that my preferred in my heart is Minari. Um, I've been saying it since the beginning of the award season. It's it is my favorite film, I think, of 2020, frankly speaking. There was a hope that if, if Minari had won the SAG Awards, that they they had a chance at maybe you know building momentum in the same way Parasite did. But um, alas, I don't think it's happening here. So uh, probably going to be Nomadland, uh, which were Minari. Well, since Nomadland and Promising Young Woman are both up for Best Picture, I am contractually obligated to mention at least one or the other. So I think my prediction is going to be no- Nomadland, but my preferred is going to be Promising Young Woman. I'm going to mention them both, actually. Yeah, Promising Young Woman is like, it's definitely in my top five favorite movies that uh, of last year, and it is my favorite movie that's nominated for any Oscar. So it's going to be Promising Young Woman. And But I, I think it's kind of weird that Nomadland is the frontrunner, but... Um, it is like I would be actually a little surprised if anything else won. Um, yeah, it's the same again. I'd say I'm, I'm actually really surprised how well Nomadland's doing. I never thought that this. Uh, it feels like a very odd movie to me. Um, even though I guess it ticks a lot of Oscar boxes, right? Like it's so weird how how well it's done. Yeah. I was going to say, it seems to me like the kind of movie that gets a lot of love at the Oscars in as far as like it gets a lot of nominations, but like I wouldn't expect it to actually win most of, win any of the big ones like Best Picture or Best Actress, etc. But it totally could actually. Like it's, it's a front runner for almost everything it's in. This has been a weird year for movies, weird year for the Oscars in general. So I guess that, that, that matches up. Hopefully, again, listening to all of these will help you with your Oscar bracket um, or your Oscar pools at work or whatever. Um, I'll be posting a list of all of my uh, picks um, probably uh, this week, This you know, around when this episode comes out maybe but definitely before the the the, the ceremony um probably over on twitter um so yeah uh and uh let me know what you think of our picks and you know best of luck with all of your oscar ballots to everybody um so some closing thoughts you know i know we're running a little bit long but hey it's the final episode before the oscars um so jeff for you um as part of the organizing team for the online community of death racers known as the academy of death racers can you let us know what you guys have planned for this coming oscar weekend with the live stream well i'm i'm very very excited for it. For one thing, uh, you're going to see me and Pierre there again. We're going to be hosting the thing for most of it. We'll be the live hosts. Uh, most of the rest will be pre-recorded segments, which is actually great because that means if you're hearing this and it's not yet Saturday and you want to be a part of uh, the Academy of Death Racers live stream, you should reach out to us on the Discord or in the subreddit and uh, let us know and, or submit videos we would like as much content as we can get hopefully we can use it all uh you know we're gonna try 
I'm I'm excited for what we've got, and I hope that everyone else is. Too. Yeah, I'll probably actually be. Uh, I'll I'll probably be contributing a couple of videos as well, so you'll probably see a video from me on the live stream. What are some films from 2021? Uh, Oscar, you know, type Oscar buzz films or not, even just general popular films. Uh, what are films that you're looking forward to uh, as theaters reopen uh, for the coming coming months? Fast and the Furious Nine, baby! I'll be in theaters first day for that one. That's going to be my glorious return to theaters. Fast Nine. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of blockbusters. Honestly, I have no idea what what Academy potential movies are coming out soon. But like, I'm obviously excited to see a lot of the new Marvel movies. The Shang Chi trailer came out today. I'm really excited to see the new James Bond movie. I don't really care for James Bond, but Kerry Fukunaga, I've, uh, I think he's like potentially going to be one of the 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 greatest directors to have like in the future. Um, he hasn't had that many movies come out, but like. Like True Detective, Maniac, uh, he had a big hand in it. So yeah, those those two movies for sure this year. Oh, and uh, Dune, Dune, Dune's really big. I'm excited for Dune. Oh, and Spider Man Three, Spider Man Three too. Spider Man Two, uh, the Sam Raimi one, is my favorite movie of all time. And Spider Man Three, which features the return of Doc Ock from Spider Man Two, comes out this year, assuming it doesn't get delayed, on my birthday. So. I will absolutely be there. I'm very excited for that. All right, all right. So it sounds like we got some potential classics movies coming live this year. Uh, so where can people get in touch with you, follow along with your show, your writing, whatever you want to plug right now? Uh, where can people get a hold of you for you know, all things movie-related or not? Uh, so our show at the moment is only on Spotify. Like, that's the only place to find it. Or, well, the only place to really find... We don't really have any social media related to it. We're going to fix that for season three coming up. Um, but right now you can go on Spotify and find us at Classic Movies Live. You can find my stuff at absolutetrash.jkbalmer.me. That's where I just like post everything that I write for any reason. And coming soon, we will have at least a Twitter, probably more than that. Oh, and I guess old episodes are on SoundCloud. All right. I'll link all of those for sure uh, in the Sonos PR. Anything on your end? Uh, no, just <laughs> Classic Movies Live stuff. Let's go. All right, sounds good. Well, we're two hours in, but uh, you know, hopefully, you guys enjoyed this breakdown on which films we think are going to win the Oscars, which films we want to win the Oscars, what we have to look forward to from the Academy of Death Racers, and of course, these lovely gentlemen from Classics Movie Live. Uh, spending a couple of hours with them. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, best of luck to everyone still finishing their Death Race, uh, especially for you, Pierre. Um, and yeah, uh, best and and thank you again for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Thanks again to Jeff and Pierre for coming on the show. Uh, as promised, I'm de- I'll definitely be linking out uh, all of their stuff uh, in the show notes uh, where you can tune in for you know, Classic Movies Live as well as for the Academy of Death Racers. Uh, and as noted, you'll see them as the host and I might have a couple of uh, presentation videos there as well. As promised, uh, here's also my brief thoughts on the films that I finished this week. Uh, first up, we have Greyhound. Uh, this one was nominated for Best Sound and was released on Apple TV Plus July 10th after its release was canceled by Sony uh, due to the pandemic. Uh, this one was a passion project for Tom Hanks, who not only stars but also wrote the screenplay uh, based on a 1955 novel, The Good Shepherd. It follows the journey of a naval officer in the early World War II days, escorting merchant ships across the Atlantic to protect them from 
German U-boats, uh, which, you know, the, and, and, you know, the term that you've probably heard to he- describe this most is a dad movie, uh, which honestly does track as many war movies are. Uh, narratively, I probably could have gotten a little bit more characterization uh, um, from, you know, Tom Hanks' character and pretty much almost everyone on the ship. Uh, but speaking about what it was nominated for, honestly, the sound design here really did deserve the Oscar. Uh, in fact, you know, had Sound of Metal not been in the running here, I think this would have been my pick uh, for front runner of the category. Uh, in the same way that Sound of Metal uses sound design to add to the narrative, here a large part of what happens in the film is conveyed over the use of audio, be it pings of sonar and radar to build tension about where are the SIPs, where are they, um, to communication between SIPs uh, via you know the radio signals, um, to even verbal commands from Tom Hanks' character, which uh, which over the mechanics of the SIP as it you know as it swerves over torpedoes. You know, getting the sound right, but also getting away that it's audible is no mean feat. Uh, plus, you know, I think the other thing this film did that, that got it in its good graces with me is I just miss seeing really great naval battle scenes. Uh, I'm thinking of Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, but yeah, definitely more naval battle scenes, please, though I know those are really expensive to film. Uh, next up, uh, I finally got around to finishing the Air National category uh, with Ma- The Man Who Sold His Skin, uh, the submission from Tunisia for this category, which premiered at the Venice Air National Film Festival last year. Uh, as Jeff mentioned in our interview, uh, this category is absolutely stacked, and I'm having a really hard time ranking this among the other uh, nominees. Uh, the concept, which is actually based on a true story from what I read, uh, is that a man sells his back to the canvas to be the canvas for a piece of art, you know, a tattoo, which you know subsequently leads to the blurring of lines between you know his autonomy as an individual uh, and also his sense of being a property which art is uh, and could even be sold and resold uh, in a sense you know the artistic vision of the artist in the film you know the Jeffrey Goldfrey character was in and of itself kind of realized you know the, the blur like thinking of is art more valuable than human life right and how how is that how does that all work um, it's kind of realized through the meta-narrative of the film by watching it and it starts raising questions in our end of how we think about art and about human lives, especially refugee lives. Uh, I'll say the romance narrative here was kind of subpar for me, frankly speaking, uh, but it was easily more than made up by arguably the best-looking visuals of any film in this category and possibly of the year. Um, This easily could have gotten a cinematography nomination, in my opinion. Um, Just some of the most visually interesting thought compositions that narratively had weight, making extra use of a lot of reflections thoughts as well. Uh, the ending twist and double twist were also pretty compelling, I'll say. I didn't see those coming. Um, I won't spoil them here. I will say, though, that I definitely burst out laughing at how much gravity they put on this one pimple-popping scene uh, partway through. So, um, yeah, definitely check out that real story. It's about a guy named Tim, uh, you know, who's the tattooist. And, yeah, a Man Who Sold His Skin is currently available on VOD. Uh, next up, uh, finally, I actually watched the uh, Best Original Song nominated film, The Life Ahead, uh, the Italian film, which is currently on Netflix. Um, I kind of feel weird giving a full review of the film for a song that, uh, for you know, because I watched it basically for the song that played over the credits. Um, at a high level, though. It's okay, you know. There's definitely something here with the story and the concept of a young Senegalese orphan bonding with his foster mother, a former, you know, a, a Holocaust survivor who's a former prostitute, as he faces his whole medical issues and him coming, you know, being torn between, you know, going down a seedy, you know, underworld life or, you know, you know, uh, helping her out and, and getting on the straight and narrow. Um, I will say the pacing here is kind of weird and character growth for the character didn't really feel earned. It just kind of happened 
because we needed to keep the story moving and uh you know it didn't really feel earned by the events of what had happened um plus there's also this random cg lioness which you know i get was a metaphor for you know his needing a mother um it felt kind of awkwardly executed between the cg-ness and just where it was placed in the story that said i will give this film props for not not necessarily its song but for its use of score during some of the montage sequences of momo the, the senegalese boy uh, going about his business which i don't know felt really different for me i really enjoyed that, that use of the score here uh, anyway, those are the films I finished this week since last episode. Again, I'm currently at 40 out of uh, 56 total films um, with 10 sorts uh, and 5 visual effects films plus Eurovision. Uh, all of those are available for streaming in one place or another. Uh, the live action sorts and documentary sorts I've already purchased from the IFC Center for streaming. A tenets available on VOD. Mulan and uh, One and Only Ivan are available on Disney+, and Love and Monsters, Midnight Sky, and Eurovism are all going to be available on flat Netflix. I'm recording this on Wednesday afternoon, uh, and so this evening I'll likely go through and watch one or maybe both of the sorts programs from the IFC Center uh, if I'm feeling ambitious. Um, that leaves me with three days to finish up the, the six feature films, including uh, One and Only Ivan, which I believe is only 90 minutes, which you know helps a lot. Um, so that's about two a day, which is totally doable. Uh, heck, you know, uh, heck, I might even triple up on Saturday so that the morning of the race, I only have one le- race, uh, one film left to watch, uh, which would be Eurovision, uh, which you know might be a tradition now. You know, last year uh, I watched Breakthrough. Uh, I think late night uh, the Saturday before the Oscars, if not you know the more early morning of. Um, so yeah, watch saving Eurovision to be my final film of the race might be a thing where now I'm going to be saving to watch uh, the film nominated for best original song and only best original song. Um, though again. Again, this year I anticipate, based on the conversation with Jeff and Pierre, that your uh, version is going to be a lot better than Breakthrough. Uh, anyway, that wraps up this episode of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Let me know how your Death Race is going uh, in these final days over on Twitter at OscarsDRaceCast or via email at OscarsDeathRacePodcast at gmail.com. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the show on your podcast service's choice, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And if you can leave us a review here or on Podchaser.com or even just share it with a friend who loves movies, any of that is super helpful. Uh, if you want to directly financially contribute to the show, you can do so on Patreon, linked in the show notes. Uh, also linked there will be my letterbox account uh, under this username ninja boy boy with an i uh, also be sure to check out the oscar race and oscars death race subreddit and the oscars death race discord as well as the community website uh, music for this show is provided by kevin macleod you can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io editing and production is provided by ninja boy media that's it for this week this has been paulo of the oscars death race podcast and until next time i'll be here trying to watch all the oscar nominees or die trying <laughs> <laughs>